Hey friends, this is Josh Blair and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you could check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. I want to jump right into the, into the message this morning. We're going to continue in the gospel of Mark today. And um, uh, like I said last, uh, after Mark chapter 8, when Peter confesses that Jesus is Christ, you know, you guys remember that? After he confesses that he, Jesus is, is the Messiah, the King, then everything begins to speed up as Jesus, Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem, as he's heading towards the cross. And through these, this chapter, the chapter before, and so on, Jesus is talking directly to his church on what he desires to see in his church. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to those who believe in him, who follow him. So as we look at the text today, we have to be mindful that he's talking to us, his people, what he desires to see in us as his people. And so he is going to be speaking to us because he is taking every step closer to the cross to pay for the church that he's speaking to. He, he's going to spill his blood for you and I, his body, and he's saying, this is what I want my body to look like. Do you remember from last week, he talked about caring for the least of these, caring for those who are new to the faith, who are weaker in the faith. We have a responsibility, and he's going to continue to talk about responsibility that we have as believers. And as we pick up in, in chapter 10, he begins to teach people as he's journeying towards Jerusalem. He, there a crowd gathers and begins to teach them. Verse 2, as he's teaching them, Pharisees show up and begin. they ask him this question. And before we get to their question, I want to ask you a question. So I want you to think about, in life, of everything that, that you have in life, what are the five top priorities, top things in your life? What are the, what are the top five? Anybody want to just share one? What's a family? Anybody else? Family? Soul? Friends? Yep. We have, there are things, right, in our life that we, that we prioritize. If we didn't have them, we would miss them. Family is one of them. Friends, relationship with God. Our, our health, our physical health, if we weren't healthy. How many of you know who've, those who have not been healthy? When you don't have that health that you're used to, it's a challenge, yeah? It's a big thing for us. We want health. Even financial stability, right? Having those things that set in place, we don't have to worry about some of that stuff. We have things in life that we hold very valuable in life. Family, health, our marriage. How many of you know if you're in a healthy marriage, it's good. If you're in an unhealthy marriage, it can be problematic, right? We, we, we long for that. But our children, our, we love them. We want to care for them. Those are valuable things to us. And so I want you to keep that question in, in the forefront of your mind as we go to the text today. And But before we do, let's pray together. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would come and speak to our hearts, that Holy Spirit, you'd open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear the word that you have for us today. I pray as your church, God, we would take seriously the words that you have for us, and that, God, we would be a people who set the example of what life should look like in the kingdom of God, that you would do that now in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus, in this text, we're going to be looking at chapter 10, verses 1 through 31. And in those, those verses, there's a lot of stuff going on. We'll see the disciples, we'll, we'll see 
The Pharisees ask their question, and Jesus is going to address the issue of the question, which we get to in a second. He's going to look at, the question is, in, is about divorce and marriage, and he's going to talk about children, then he's going to talk about wealth, and there's a lot, there's a lot there, and we could, if we could, if we would break those things apart, we could speak one week at a time just on those issues. But I think as, as we look at the text in, in whole, I believe that Jesus is trying to tell us something as his church, as his body, that he wants us to be aware of. So, so we could break those things down, but I really feel like the Lord is wanting us to see a larger picture. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do, we're going to look at all of that text in one section here. And so, uh, uh, Jesus is talking about these three very important areas of life, and as he does, we'll, be, we'll tackle those together. So in verse 2, if you have that, Mark chapter 10, verse 2, it says this, the Pharisees came up in order to test him and ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, because of hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment to you. Now, I want to pause because first, this is a very sensitive issue. Divorce has touched probably everyone in this room in some way, right? We live in a society where if, mar if your marriage isn't working or if your marriage is difficult, there's always the option of divorce. We, we understand that. We know that. It is a very real reality for a lot of us. Uh, but Jesus is saying here the hardness of heart has led up to that, that, that permission in Old Testament law. And in, with the Pharisees, when they're asking Jesus about this, they already knew it was lawful, okay? They, they knew it because when Jesus asked them the question about it, they responded, well, Moses gave us this command. So they were asking the question, it says, to test him or to trap him. We don't understand what kind of trap they're trying to set there or try to test because he responded with another question and oftentimes, Jesus will ask questions to redirect those who are seeking answers from him to get them onto the perspective he is wanting to happen. And in, in our, in a, even in our own lives, there are things that we're going to ask the Lord, and he's going to respond with, to us with a question to get us to, to shift our perspective on what we're actually looking at. And so the, the Pharisees are coming to him, asking him about divorce, and Jesus is wanting to shift their perspective to look at it a different way. Jesus doesn't answer them with, his, with a, an answer. He answers them with another question about what's permitted. And it says hardness of heart. And anytime it says there's divorce happens, there is a hardness of heart. There's a, your heart has become hardened in some way, uh, either against your spouse or because of sin that brings division. And Jesus is saying here, anytime a marriage ends in divorce, there is sin present. There is sin there. And... Uh, and it becomes a, a separation of the things that God has brought together. So Jesus shifts the, shifts the question from what's permissible in divorce to what is the intention of marriage. Why get married in the first place? There, are some, there, there, there were some camps in, uh, in Jewish teachers and laws that one of them said um, divorce is permissible only because of adultery or someone has an affair. Another camp said divorce is permissible if the wife burns breakfast, the husband can say, all right, that's enough. I don't, you know I don't like my toast that way. Get out. Right? And there was even one camp that said this. If a husband finds another more attractive than his wife, he can dismiss his, dismiss his wife, divorce her to marry another. And it's permissible. 
And so Jesus says a few things here in Scripture to, to reorient and shift to go against some of those things. But Jesus doesn't want to tackle the, 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 the symptom of the problem. He wants to attack, attack the root of the issue. And so he takes it back to the beginning. It says in Scripture, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That word hold fast means to be glued together, like, like gorilla glue, like, like super glue. If you rip those things apart, there's going to be some damage. Right, they should be hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus is shifting the question from divorce to the intention of marriage. He's reorienting his audience to a new perspective, saying, why was marriage created in the first place? So here, here's what I'm looking at in Scripture when I'm looking at, when I begin to pile up these stories together, I really believe that Jesus is saying, what the world has come to devalue, I have created with great value. What the world is saying is not worth a lot, Jesus is saying, no, it was created with great intention and blessing in mind. And so as we continue to read through this, these passages of Scripture, we'll see that Jesus is saying, what was created for a blessing, the world has sought to curse. Or what, it was, what God has blessed and created, the enemy has sought to distort and become a curse to you. And anytime someone goes through divorce, that divorce has been, that marriage has become a curse where it was once seen as a blessing. Yes? Nobody who gets married says, this is going to be a curse to me. <laughs> no one says, looks at their spouse and says, this person is a curse. No. When you get married, you think this person is a blessing. This person's going to add to my life. These, this is going to be a, a wonderful thing. But as life progresses and life gets messy and as people see the brokenness in each other, we think, all right, this is a curse. I don't want this anymore. But Jesus is saying it was intended and created as a blessing with great value. And because of brokenness, because of sin, and because there's an enemy who wants to distort what God has blessed, the enemy has come into to curse what Jesus has intended to bless. All right, so this is what he's saying in this past scripture. There could be a lot more said about divorce, and I'm not trying to teach a, a marriage conference on divorce right now or, or, or what marriage should look like, but Jesus is being very specific here, saying instead of focusing on how to get out of this blessing that has become a curse, you should be focusing on how to preserve this blessing so that blessing will continue to flow. Yes, are you following me? Sin seeks to divide us. When he says hardness of heart, that there has been division there for some, for whatever issue and reason. Uh, and for people, and he's, he's really talking about the church here. He's saying the church, there has to be a better way. The world has devalued these things. The world and the church don't look a whole lot different when it comes to divorce and marriage, right? If the, if the world's looking for hope of what marriage should look like, it's having a hard time finding it in the church right now. Because divorce is so prevalent, one in two marriages, not only in, in, in the world, but also with those who call themselves followers of Jesus. And God is, Jesus is saying here that God has intended for this to be brought, something that has been brought together. Divorce intends to separate. And obviously, the disciples needed more information, and I'm sure that we all want more information on this as well. So they take Jesus aside, the Bible says, into a house, and 
They ask him about this matter, and he says something very clear. He says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and vice versa. If she divorces her husband, she commits adultery against him. Partly, partially, he says that because he's elevating the status of women in this portion of Scripture, because when a husband divorced his wife or if he committed adultery, it was never against her because she was just property. In Old Testament, if somebody did something to a woman or a daughter, the Bible would tell us you had sinned against the father or you had sinned against her male siblings. So she actually didn't, there was no value given to her in society. She was seen as less than. She was just seen as a possession and she was greatly devalued by that. And so Jesus, by saying, if you, if you marry another, if you get rid of her so you can marry somebody else, you're sinning against her, you have great value. Why? Because two have become one flesh. In that society, the woman was property, and so the man could do whatever he wanted with her. Jesus is saying, no, she's not property. She is one with you. You are equal. And when you sin, you sin against her, and if she's a part of you, you sin against yourself, and that should be taken very seriously. Sometimes, though, I want to make clear the church has taken this passage of Scripture and made it about remarriage more than what Jesus is trying to say here about the value of women. And they have condemned people, and I, and I know that there are people who are watching you have gone through divorce and you've tried everything to salvage that marriage and, and that person just decided to walk away and you've been set free from that marriage because scripture does say if there's an unbelieving spouse who decides who doesn't want to be a part of this, what Paul writes, uh, the, the believing spouse um, is free if that person chooses to walk away and, and not be a part of what you're doing because you want to follow Jesus and they don't want to and they decide to leave. The Bible says you're free. But, but the church has, for some reason, taken this passage of Scripture to say those who are free can no longer remarry because they'll be committing adultery of some sort. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. So I want to just speak some freedom to some people who have carried the weight of guilt and responsibility and shame for something that God never intended through his word to be, to be uh, an area of guilt or shame. Jesus is actually trying to elevate the status and the value and the importance of marriage not to condemn somebody in their sin. And that's what's being said here. Are you following me? So that's an important issue to say. Also, women were never, it was not widely known or uh, even known at all if women could actually divorce their husbands. So Jesus is actually saying, what's possible for you? If you think it's possible, well, then they can do it too because you're equal. So be mindful of that if you're gonna go do some stuff. And secondly, or thirdly, he's addressing that crowd of teachers in the law who said, you can divorce your wife if she burns the toast. Um, and it's not going to be an issue. Or if you find someone who's prettier, you can divorce your wife to go after the pretty one. Jesus is saying, nope, you're still committing adultery doing that. That's, you're not free. God is still saying you're married in, in my eyes, and you're not going to find a loophole so you can get, go run around and do whatever you want to do. If you're going to go chase somebody because you think it's better, on like the grass is greener on the other side, it's not greener, friends. It's dead. And those weeds have thorns, and you're going to get chewed up. So don't go running after that. The blessing is here. The blessing is in marriage, is what he's trying to say. There is blessing. Don't allow the world to convince you that your blessing is a curse. Don't allow the world to convince you that what God has blessed has become a curse to you. That's what the enemy always wants to do. He wants to curse the blessings of God. That's why he wants to curse the church. It is a blessing to the world. That's why he wants to bring separation. It's why he wants to curse marriages, because it is a blessing, not only to you, your life, 
and added value to your life and you add value to others' lives. But, it, but we under, understand statistically that marriage, when, fa- when a household is united, a husband and a wife are united, their children are blessed. And your children will be a blessing to their children. And they have a model of what it means to be a whole family together. We can see it in, statistically when fathers, mothers are absent, especially fathers, when fathers are absent from homes, a lot of other things set in like poverty, mental health issues, teen pregnancy, all of these things I mentioned on Father's Day, all of those things are reflected when there is division where God has brought unity. Amen? So Jesus wants to, he says that, I want to just as a reiteration, it's not my main point of the text today, but I just want to put that out there because I do feel like some people are carrying the weight of some things and they need to recognize what Jesus was really trying to say here. He's wanting to say that in the church, I want the church to show a better way. I want the church to look a, a better way. I want the church to understand the value of relationship and the value of marriage. Historically, this is what Jesus is saying to them. And I think that's the main point. Jesus is wanting to um, demonstrate saying, look, I want to illuminate the value of marriage. And I want husbands to understand that wives are not property or possessions or things that have been given to you uh, as a way to just better your life. No, you have been joined one together. And then if you're willing to serve and honor and love and cherish those uh, who are who are in your care, then you will be blessed. But if you go to take from them and treat them as a possession, it's not gonna go well for you. Jesus has wanted to uh, show that wives were not property, that you could do whatever you wanted with them. They are one flesh with you. That means they have become equal with you in life. You've been joined together, not by social construct or contract, but by God. So this is what the Lord is wanting to say there. He has given marriage as a blessing and the world has taught that it is a curse. So uh, let's go on. I want to um, illuminate a couple other things here shortly. Um, yeah, I'm going to move that. I'm going to move past that. Let's go on to the next verse in verse 13. To him that he might touch them and that the, then the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, if you remember from last week, we said that children were seen as of no value as well that they had no social status, they had no privileges, they had no voice. They were, they were seen as property as well, property of their, of their father primarily, uh, and, and um, they had no value. Do you see the correlation? Are you beginning to see the, the correlation between possession and lack of value and what Jesus is trying to teach here? He is trying to demonstrate something. He says, look, you see children as properties specifically of the father and they can be seen as burdens specifically until they're able to actually begin to work and care for themselves. Children are seen as burdens and, and, and make life difficult. And any of you who have little ones, you understand what I'm talking about. When changing those stinky diapers is a burden and it's problematic <laughs> and does not feel like a blessing. So 
So Jesus is trying to reiterate something, and, and in the Gospel of Mark, how the author put these things together, we can begin to see a correlation here between what he talks about divorce and marriage and what he begins to talk about in children. He turns and rebukes the disciples, and he tells them, let the children come. Why? He says, the kingdom of God belongs to them. And it's interesting, children who are seen as possessions and lack value, Jesus says, they are possessors of the kingdom and have great value. There's a contrast there. So Jesus says, look, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he's actually, what he's, what he's saying here, sometimes people interpret that to mean I got to act childish to get into the kingdom. That's not what that means. Why would Jesus ever say that? Throw a tantrum. There's a lot of people in church today throw tantrums like a child and think they belong to the kingdom. That's not what he's saying here. Come on, somebody. You know anybody who throws tantrums? What about me? No, no, mine, mine, mine. That's not how you're going to get into the kingdom. Okay, just a quick note. What Jesus might be saying here, there are two ways to interpret it. One is that Jesus is saying, if you want to receive the kingdom, receive it like a child would receive something. And how do children receive uh, uh, from their parents or from their guardians? Well, there's a 100% dependency on those who are parents or guardians to care for the child. They're 100% dependent. There's, there are 100% vulnerable and, and uh, trusting to those who are caring for them because without it, they could not survive. Think about little babies. Think about toddlers, right? They can't feed themselves, can't dress themselves. They need someone to care for them. They are 100% dependent for their own survival. I think about my boys, right? They have 100% trust in me and my wife that when we feed them or give them something to drink, it's not going to poison them. It's going to benefit them. Right When we pick them up to carry them around, they are trusting that I'm not going to drop them or hurt them in any way. And so there's a dependency there. So Jesus might be saying, for those who are in the kingdom, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you must be 100% dependent upon the kingdom uh, for your own survival if you want to be a part of this. That's one way of interpreting it. The second way would be this. Those who, it says, if you want to receive the kingdom, you must receive it like a child that word receive, the verb is to welcome, as in to welcome someone into your home or someone into your life, not something. So, so what he might be saying here is that if you want to welcome the kingdom, welcome the least of these. If you want to welcome the kingdom of God in your life, welcome those who have no value in the eyes of society in the world or even have no value in your own life. You think, well, they can't add anything to me, so I don't want them around me. This is what the disciples did with the children, literally, when they were coming to Jesus. They said, you have no value, so don't come to the master. Jesus says, no, if you want, if you want the kingdom of God in your life, welcome those who you think can't give anything to you. There is a, there is a difference there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, welcome the least of these, care for the least of these. This is what he said in chapter 9. He's reiterating it again in chapter 10. Caring for those who you think can't add value to you, who society even says has no value. And this happens in the world all the time. You know, relationships and, and you know, this idea of networking in business. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get somewhere. I'm going to get ahead of others by networking. People know my name and all these things because you think they add value to you. Jesus is saying that's not what the kingdom's about. You're not going to get ahead by networking and knowing people's names and hopefully they know your name. No, you're going to get ahead in the kingdom by being the least, by being last and putting others first, caring for those so that the kingdom of God can be present in your life. The disciples don't get it. They turn the children away and Jesus gets angry with them, saying, you're devaluing the very thing I value. 
And in marriages, that's what's happening as well. When divorce happens, it's because one or both spouses have devalued not only marriage and what it should be, but each other. You don't get to divorce in marriage by valuing the other person. It won't happen. If you continue to value your spouse and cherish them and both do that, it won't end in divorce. And if you can value and, and cherish those who society says has no value, then you are allowing, you're allowing yourself to be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying this, what God has given as a blessing, don't allow the enemy to curse. Children are a blessing. They can feel like burdens. They are burdens for a while. They do eat a lot of food. They do drink a whole lot of milk. They will try to take, you know, clean out your bank account by just what's the groceries in the fridge, right? But, but God has told us in Psalm 127 that children are a blessing and a gift from God. And in society, children have been devalued. Marriages have been devalued. And Jesus says it should not be that way in the church. And I just think about this. The realities of child abuse in our society breaks my heart when I think about children being abused because they are 100% dependent on those who are their guardians and their, their parents and we're not valuing them. Children that are being aborted are completely devalued. They have no value. So I'm gonna get rid of it because it's gonna mess up my life, right? Jesus says, no, you must value the things that you think are not valuable. This is why the church takes a strong stance on marriage. This is why the church takes a strong stance on abortion and on children because this passage of scripture, Jesus is telling us, value the unvaluable. They are not possessions for you to do away with whatever you want. My body, my choice, no. Not your body, not your choice if you belong to the body of Christ. That's the way it should be in the church. That's not to condemn anybody, to make anybody feel guilty or shameful. It's just to understand the weight of responsibility in the church. Jesus is saying, don't allow the enemy to curse while I have blessed. Marriage given by God as a blessing between man and woman. Children given by God, planned or unplanned, wanted, unwanted, born, unborn, given as a, God, a gift from God as a blessing. And the enemy would love nothing more than to take the blessings from God and turn them into a curse in your life. It only happens, it happens when he causes us to devalue what God values. And I want to specifically say here, Jesus, when he's talking in these, these passages of scripture on divorce and marriage, children, and when we get to the next story, he's actually talking to men primarily because men have the power in society and culture. In a lot of ways, we still do. And he's saying this, people, your spouse, women, children are not your possession to do with whatever you choose. You have a responsibility to care for, to love, to protect, and to cherish those under your care, not to abuse them, not to treat them as objects of your desire, but to be mindful of that because you will be given account. Amen? Can I get amen from men and from women? So we need to be mindful of those things. Men, we look at people as not possessions, but as we look at our wives not as a less than, but an equal because we are one flesh together. 
and we care for them and take care of them. Children, they are, the Bible says, co-heirs in the kingdom of God. So they're not possessions that we just treat however we want and abuse and yell at and treat poorly. No, they are, the Bible says, co-heirs in the kingdom. They, will, they actually are possessors of the kingdom and we need to be mindful. So this last section here, starting in verse 17, begins now to talk about a young man who runs up to Jesus and kneels before him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Quick side note, Jesus is revealing, I'm not just a teacher, I'm good, I am God, but I don't think you know that I'm God. That's why I'm asking the question, why do you call me good? Do you know that I'm God or not? The young man doesn't, doesn't really recognize it, so Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments, right? He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, and honor your father and mother. These are the commandments that are others-focused, right? The first five are God-focused. The last five are others-focused. Ooh, hello. Are others-focused? I gotta be careful with the this, this sphere. And so Jesus is, is looking at it and saying, have you done these things? Have you treated others well? Have you cared for others? And notice that Jesus changes the word. Uh, he says defraud there, which the other the, the Old Testament commandments is actually do not covet. But it's harder to say you've not coveted something before, right? It's hard to say, man, oh, that, that, that guy's mule, I'd love to have a mule like that. Why does my mule look so bad, right? So, <laughs> so he's saying he changes it to defraud. So you can say, no, I've never defrauded anybody. So Jesus is actually helping this young man to say if he's followed the, the commandments or not. And the young man says, I've done it from my youth. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Looked at him and loved him. So I don't think, some scholars think that this young man is haughty and prideful when he says, I've kept these commandments. But I think that, that he's being very genuine and has been really seeking to honor God with his life. Because why? Jesus, the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if the young man's coming to Jesus in pride, saying, oh, I've done all these things, I don't think Jesus would have looked at him and said, oh, I love you so much. I think he would have been like, no, fool. You ain't got it, right? But, but I think there's genuineness there. So I think Jesus loves him and gives grace to him because he, he's actually seeking out what it means to have eternal life. But Jesus sees an issue in his life. He sees something there that is causing him, that will cause him to stumble. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And verse 21 says this, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22 says this, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had what? Great possessions. He had great possessions. Do you see the correlation between divorce and marriage? Women are seen as possessions, things that we can do with whatever we want. And marriage entirely, marriage is seen as something that we own, children seen as possessions, devalued. And now this guy walks away because he has the opposite of what's going on in the other two. Marriage is devalued, so they look for divorce. Children are devalued, so they push them away. And yet this man walks away because he values his possessions greater than, than his love for Jesus. Are you following me? Jesus is trying to say, the things that I want you to value, you don't value. The things that I don't want you to value, you value. And here's the correlation. Can you all see that? 
Jesus is saying, you're looking for divorce as a way of escape, to separate and to send away. You've lost the value or the importance of marriage, why it was created. So it ends in divorce. You see children, they lack value. They're unimportant. They're unwelcome. You, you have missed the importance of the value of children and the blessing and the gift they are. And you want to send them away. And yet wealth in our society and in around the world, it's seen as a great possession. It's seen as great, it has great value. It is welcomed. No one looks at wealth and says, no, get away from me. What, do you want to give me a million dollars? How dare you, you pig? No one does that. But in society, people who are married say, I don't want this anymore. Get away from me. I don't want you in my life. I want you to be away from me. I want divorce, right? There's no value there. Children, stop. Go ask your mother. Stop asking me. Let go of my leg, right? Get away from me, child. And wealth, oh, please. If wealth, if a million dollars was tugging on your leg, you're like, oh, please, come. You Whatever you want. Come and whatever. Okay, I was going to say something else, but I should stop myself. But it's seen as, a, it's seen as valuable. It's welcomed. It's a possession we all want. It's seen as a blessing from God. And that these other things that God has blessed, we see as a curse. There is a upside down kingdom principle that Jesus is wanting to see here. See, the disciples, they were astonished at this teaching of Jesus. They went to him later on because it says, let's see where it's at. Verse 23, he looked around at his disciples. He said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Why? Because it was taught that blessings come from God. Wealth comes from God. The more that you have, the more blessed you are. You must be doing something right. Old Testament, you look at, and even Proverbs, it says, the, you know, those who have wealth have been blessed by the Lord. And so they're seeing this young man who has great possessions. And it seems to appear that he's been doing all the right things. He's treating people well because Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus says, you just lack one thing, not all these things. So it looks like he's doing something great. So they're astonished. They don't understand it. And Jesus says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He's being very literal. He's taking a real little, a literal needle here and he's looking at a giant camel and says, you make it fit, right? Some people try to say that there was a, in the, in the ancient gates, there was this doorway called the eye of the needle and for people to get through it, they'd have to unpack their camels. That's not historically accurate. It's never happened. They've never found such a, such a door or gate called that. Right? So Jesus is actually trying to say, look, this is how difficult it is for somebody who thinks they, have, they own the world. They lose the world. They lose, this, they lose their soul because they think they have all they need. Right? They, be, they become more dependent on their wealth and their possessions than they do on God. Jesus says, how do you inherit the kingdom of God? Be 100% dependent on the kingdom, not on your own wealth. So Jesus is trying to be very mindful. He's trying to help us understand the expectation and then the, the disciples, they're exceedingly astonished, it says, and they said, then who can be saved? Because if the, if the wealthy young man who's doing it all right and has been blessed by God can't enter the kingdom, who can be in the kingdom? Jesus says it's impossible for man to enter the kingdom. But if God opens the door for you, then all, because all, all things are possible to God, those who believe. So the disciples, they're amazed, they're astonished, they're confused, they don't know what's going on. And Jesus is really trying to illuminate to us 
that in society, what is seen as a blessing can become a curse, and what is seen as a curse has been given as a blessing. And he wants the church to be mindful of that, and he wants the church to reflect that to the world. Say, what, what is of great value is marriage, is relationships. What is of great value are children. They are a blessing, not material wealth or possessions and what people run after all their life. They spend their lives running after things and they miss the blessing of what family is, what relationships are, what friends are because we're seeking more things than we're seeking relationship. And Jesus wants us to be mindful as the church to say there is a better way, there is a different option. Will it be difficult? Yes, Peter says in verse 28, I think, Look, Master, we've given up everything for you. We've given up. We've walked away from everything, and we've come to follow you. And Jesus says, yes, those who have left their houses and brothers and sisters, mother, father, children, and lands for my sake of the gospel will inherit in this life a hundred times more brothers, sisters, fathers. What is he saying? When you join the body of Christ, you will inherit new brothers, new sisters, new people. But will it come with persecution? Yes. Will it be difficult to live out a life of honor in these areas? Yes. Will it be difficult to honor your spouse when they've treated you poorly, when they've done things against you and sinned against you because of hardness in their heart or maybe hardness even in your heart? Yes, it will be difficult. Will it be difficult to honor your children and love them and care for them when they, when they dishonor you? Yes, it will be difficult. Will it be easier to run after wealth and possessions? Yes. But that's not what I want the church to look like. I want the body of Christ to recognize the value of these things. And don't, don't, get, don't get them mixed up. What do are, what are all three of these things have in common? They become cursings when we see them as our possessions. When we think that our marriage and our spouse they owes us something and I'm here and you're down here and you provide for me and you do for me. We've set ourselves in the place of the owner and God is the owner of marriage. He's the one who created it. When we see our children as, as things that are for, uh, that, that are, should serve us and take care of us and all of these other things and we, we, we don't see the value of them, we make us ourselves the owner of them instead of the managers and the stewards of them, they become, it can become a curse us. And when we look at our finances as something that we control and something that we own instead of something that is blessed from God, that we should return back to him, then it becomes a curse for us. And Jesus is wanting us to be mindful, to understand that as the body of Christ, it should not be. Now, we could have, I could have spent weeks on each one of these things, but I think that the, the priority that Jesus wants us to see here is the value of the things that the world devalues. And he wants the church to begin to value those things again. It will be challenging, yes. Will it be difficult? Yes, but it is honorable to God that we value the things that the world devalues and we devalue the things the world says is valuable. Amen? And as, body, as the body of Christ, as the worship team comes, I just feel like some, some in this life have felt the weight of this and have been on the receiving end of being devalued. Devalued in your marriage, devalued in your childhood, abused, neglected. 
where parents, or friends, or spouse chased after what the world said was valuable, possessions, materials, and things, and you received the devaluing thing. Can I just say to you right now, I believe that Jesus is wanting to bring healing where you have been devalued by your parents, devalued by your spouse, devalued by the things because they did not see the value and the worth of the life that you have. And Jesus is wanting to say today, I value you and I want my church to value you. You are valuable. Your life has purpose and meaning. And no matter what kind of brokenness you've walked through, no matter how traumatic or painful it has been, Jesus is wanting to restore, to bring healing, and to declare to you and to me today that you have value, you have worth. You are far more important than a home or a car or any dollar amount. Your life has great value. And he wants the church to recognize that as well. And so I just want to pray for you. I don't know those of you who are sitting here today that you feel like you've been devalued, that people have walked away from your life or people have separated themselves from you and you, you put your value on what they said about you. I want you to know, I want you to hear that Jesus says you are valuable, you are loved, you are a blessing, you are a gift. And now live that life out too, to be a blessing and a gift to others. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cvcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you. God bless.